Hey, this is Ryan Chapman with the Fix Your Funnel interview series, and we have a real treat today. We have Nancy Seeger from Seeger Consulting Incorporated. And Nancy, you're, you come up from the north country of Calgary, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. My uh, son lives up there, and so I'm always impressed with people that can deal with that much cold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Tucson, so you know it's it's fairly warm most of the time here, and I'm a Southern California boy, so I'm just not built for snow. And I'm always impressed with people who can deal with the heat, because that is not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Everybody's got their thing, I guess. Why don't you introduce how you got into this line of work, because you do... Uh, a couple of different things, but the thing we'll probably talk the most about is you do a lot of consultancy and actually implementation work with small businesses around marketing automation, not only in Infusionsoft, but some other systems as well. Yeah. Seeker Consulting is focused on, you know, primarily women coaches and entrepreneurs. I always like to say that are technology challenged, which is a lot of people. I mean, my background sure. is, is, you know, marketing. I started out, that was what I studied in school was marketing. And then I spent many years in system analysis and design, but it was really a customer that introduced me to Infusionsoft that kind of pulled it all together. And it made so much sense to me to look at it. I was, you know, designing CRM systems back in the days of DB3 and database three and act all of those a lifetime ago. Right. But you've spent a lot of time thinking about this topic. Oh yeah. You could say that. You could say that. And you know, it's funny. I think the world kind of pushes you around until you get the message and, and then you, you find your path. Eventually you find your path. I was always pulled back to marketing automation and technology and coding. We always joke because in my family, I have uh, five siblings and four of them are coders. It's just, (laughs) you know, the dynamics of how things get pulled back and the, the way you're, you all think and analyze things, it stays the same way. So. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, my story, you know, I don't know that I would have ever guessed I would be doing what I'm doing today when I was a kid. No. Um, I don't know what I thought I was going to do, but. Yeah, I was going to say, did you have big dreams when you grew up? Well, you know, I, I thought as a teenager, because in my church, I had some, some youth leaders that were dentists. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, my dad always talked about construction as being pounding on rocks with a rubber mallet. He, he didn't particularly enjoy it, but he was really good at it. So he did. You know, what I mean, I shouldn't say he didn't enjoy it. He did enjoy some of it, but he just felt like you were always trading time for money. And that was something that really bothered him. Oh, yeah. Because it was always how much time of the day. Because, you know, he would start early and then work late into the night to do that. But, uh, yeah, I thought I was going to be a dentist. I mean, I look at my hands. You know, I'm six, seven, so yep. my hands are pretty big. These would be terrible to put in people's mouths. I don't know <laughs> if I have the dexterity for the small movement, so it's probably good I didn't go into dentistry. Yeah, but like you say, we never know where we're going to end up. We just kind of, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I found for me, the universe just kind of guides you along and you keep getting lessons and, and having failures and having successes until you end up where you're supposed to be. No, I, I feel like that's pretty accurate. Now, you, you mentioned before we started recording that you, you kind of were a pioneer of sorts with working from home. I you was. Started, what, what year did you start working from home? 1995. See, I think that would have been a real challenge because that was like when America Online or, you know, the dial-up internet was just barely starting to really get. It was. AOL was the big 
big email. Everybody had an AOL account, I can tell you. It's, and I, I actually, it was also a bit of a pioneer because back then I was a woman in technology and that wasn't very common. Yeah. No. And, you know, they put, have a real push up here in Canada to get women into science, technology and math. But it is it, back in the 1990s, it was quite a challenge. But I had, you know, it, for me, it was really important because I, you know, had a very successful career. I was actually director of international sales for a, com a small computer software company. And it, it was a company that I traveled the world. I got to go to Europe. I was all over the place, running conferences, selling software, working with partners. I had partners in Australia the whole nine years. But I was young enough, I wanted to have children. And when my children were starting school, the company I worked for actually kind of spoiled me because they had they paid for my nanny to travel with me rather than lose me and that was also very rare but yeah after after all of that when my kids started school my husband was an engineer and he also traveled a big percentage of his work life once my kids started school it wasn't an option anymore yeah and so i told them i was either taking my job home or i was leaving period and and i worked with them it actually only lasted about Oh, less than three months, I think, because the company was sold. They were being bought up and sold, and it was a big transition time. And I dealt mostly with Fortune 500 companies anyhow. So, you know, phone conferences and stuff were pretty common back then. Yeah. But it, you know, it was just one of those changes that my kids came first. So I stayed home, and when the job went away, I created another one. I think that's really important. I you mentioned also before we started that you just hated the corporate rigmarole. <laughs> well, I think it's it's one of the critical things you have to you have to do, especially as an entrepreneur or a business owner, is you have to hit that point at which you realize what is it that I will not sacrifice? Exactly. What is it that I will not do? And what do I want this world that I'm creating to look like when it's all finished? Well, and it's one of my mindset coaches use the, the word and I, uh, the statement. And I always look at this. I say, what am I tolerating in my life? Yeah. Cause if I'm just tolerating it, I'm not thriving. Yeah. And, it, and as much as, I mean, corporate treated me extremely well. They made it really hard for me to leave cause they kept spoiling me. But the reality is, is, it just, I just knew it wasn't right for me. It wasn't the fit. It wasn't flexible enough. And my priorities were very different. So that, that kind of leads us to uh, the topic. I, I think that is really important that you have quite a bit to say about, which is resiliency. If, if you are going to be out on your own, if you're going to set up, this is the way things are going to be. They don't immediately turn the way that you want them to be. Well, yeah. And we were talking about this before. I think, you know, it's, None of us gets through life without experiencing some failure. Yeah. And I've always believed the biggest skill you can have is resiliency, whether especially as a business owner, especially as an entrepreneur, team members come, team members go. As I mentioned, this is my number sixth incorporated company. Right now I own two. And, and you know, I'm never going to be satisfied with one thing because I know that, and it's not about putting all your eggs in one basket or not. It's just the way I am. I'm never going to be satisfied with one thing. I'm always looking for the next challenge, the next opportunity. And, and I want to share a little bit about why, you know, where resiliency came in for me. And yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's from, you know, changing up different businesses and other things. But I spent five years of my life working with an organization called YPO. Uh, do you know who YPO is? 
Ryan? No, no idea. Okay. YPO stands for Young Presidents Organization. Oh, okay. Well, I've heard of that. I just didn't know by the initial. Yeah. So I worked with both YPO and WPO. They're, they're like you graduate from YPO and go to WPO. That's kind of the guys with the big bucks. But YPO is, for those who don't know it, it's a private, very exclusive CEO, high-level executive membership group. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it, and it, you have to qualify every year to get into it. They have very high standards. You have to be recommended by two of your peers. And they run chapters worldwide. And, you know, I went through, I'd gone through two or three companies on my own. And, you know, some were successes and were able to be sold. And quite a few of them were not and got shut down because it was time to move on to something else. But once I worked with YPO and I did it again in a contracting position, I had some friends in there and they needed somebody to set up and manage and, and I technically was the only paid person in Alberta and Saskatchewan, the two provinces here, equivalent to your states, running. On average, we ran 30 events a year between September and June and kind of every year the volunteer board would change and we'd redo all the branding, redo all the marketing, redo the website, redo everything. Mm -hmm. And then from between June and September and then relaunch it again and do this whole series of events around training and educating and teaching executives and CEOs how to work with, you know, balancing work life and business and making decisions and finding peers, et cetera. And it's the fascinating thing that I learned from them was a, there was a few really great lessons. And one of them was your number one thing is always your mindset. The biggest difference between them and anybody else that followed was the mindset and how they approach every problem. It wasn't a problem. It was a different kind of opportunity. You never said no to anything. You said, you know, a qualifier. There's just a whole way of approaching things, sitting in the meeting rooms with those guys every year. And the other thing that really, really came home, and, and I said it, it had come up before in my life so many times, so it was a really important lesson for me, was about resiliency. It was about watching some of these people have $50 million a year companies and lose them and bounce back and knowing how to play that game and to come back and forth and to get in and out of situations. It was so inspiring. It was the best five years of my life. So resiliency seems to me that there has to be a decoupling of your personal worth from your net worth. Oh, there has to be a decoupling of you from just about everything. You cannot be attached to outcomes. You cannot be attached to, you know, you, you know what the plan is. You know what the goal is. You're going to move forward. But you got to expect that things are going to change on a dime. And if you're attached to it, you're going to collapse when it fails. Like it, Yeah, interesting. I think because, you know, the most common thing, I'm sure you see this a lot because you do a lot of getting people, you know, businesses started with marketing automation. So you, you see a lot of variety of businesses i'm sure even though you have a general category that you focus on yeah at least what i've observed is people get very attached to their business um, very attached to the way they do things very attached to the way that they sell things the way that they market things well it and, becomes an extension of of a lot of people and, and yeah. not not everybody but it really does you know it becomes an extension of who they are because they invest so much personally that they take on, I'm not sure if the business takes on their personality or they take on the, the branding of the business in their own personality, but it, it gets confusing for some people. Yeah. And I think it's really, entrepreneurs are really, really good at getting kind of too enmeshed in their business because if you don't have that, that distancing, that perspective, 
the metrics in place, and I know you're, you love metrics as well, Ryan, but you know, if you're not measuring and, and working on what's important and you're not switching the goals for changes, you, you know, you, there is going to be failure that's going to hit you a little bit harder, you know, yeah. but everybody fails. Every plan fails. I, I don't know a marketer that can tell you that, you know, any more than 20% <laughs> of the marketing plans that are put out there ever fully succeed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing that you know for sure is that it's going to fail. You just don't know how. Yep. And then it's just a matter of adjusting. That's why, you know, I'm very, very hesitant to have somebody go do a full on automation thing all at once. Yep. Because I don't know anyone who really is smart enough or is so, you know, aware of everything that's going on that they can actually predict exactly how people are going to respond. Well, and I don't think in today's time it would be, and, and, and I don't know that smart is, is the limitation exclusively. Sure, I, sure. Just, I, just I think there's just too word. many variables out there for even a yeah. supercomputer to calculate it, to be honest. Well, even if, because I was thinking about that as I was formulating that sentence, I'm like, well, machine learning, that has some promising effects, but it's still limited by the data you give it. Exactly. And so what data do I actually need to give it to make, you know, to discover what's going to work and what's not? Well, and anybody who does statistics can tell you they're going to prove or disprove the hypothesis you have. But if you don't have one, you're kind of not going to know what you're going to get, right? Numbers are just numbers. You have to have context. And sometimes that context is based on judgment. And that judgment isn't always 100% accurate. Yeah. So, I mean... For me, resiliency kind of, it sticks in having some, so you have to have some deeper underlying philosophy about what you're, you're about. What are you doing that is deeper than even the business and something that is almost like a North Star in that it's, it's a fixed entity off in the horizon that you will, you will never reach that is, but is there to, to give you direction and some sort of movement so that as you hit obstacles or things don't go as planned, you can continue. How would you describe resiliency? Well, I think resiliency really for me is a little bit more, you know, yes, I love the North Star analogy. And I think having, mm -hmm. you know, something that you can focus on is great. But for me, it's more about your core values. It's really, you can never grow your business more than you can grow yourself. You can never do more for your clients or for anybody else than you can do for yourself. And you need to invest in number one first. Interesting. So when you, when you heard North Star, what did you understand? What North Star to me is just something external. It's something like I'm focused on. Like I want to hit uh, this much in revenue. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I was actually on the same page with you. Okay. Um, it's got to be deeper than that. I, yeah. I think that's where people get themselves into trouble is when they're, their focus is purely on some sort of financial objective. Yeah, I, I, well, I think you have to go deeper than that to get it right. And that is so true. I mean, it's my other company is a, is a women's speaking group and people say to me, why are you, you know, they're so different from a digital marketing agency and a, and a women's speaking group. And it's, but they're not because the truth of the matter is they're both about really helping women learn to speak up and stand up and own their identity and their women and you may agree with this or not but women really hold the family unit together hold the community unit together Absolutely. hold the structure together and because of that the more we support women and the stronger we make them individually the stronger our communities are yeah no i agree 100 percent with that 
So for me, it's really about, that's the core value. That's the core driving force. Teaching yeah. a woman to own their story and, and speak and be publicly visible is something that most women, particularly women over 40, still have some struggle with. Well, I, I don't know if it's even, I think there's a certain challenges in gender, but I think it's almost universal as well. It is, it is. I've seen a lot of men that also struggle to know what their story is and to be able to be independent, but also interdependent. And I agree totally. I agree totally. And, I have, But there, there's different approaches for each. And so that's yeah. why it's so special that you're doing that for women is because yeah. women face unique challenges in trying to get to that objective. Well, and different for, from what men face. Exactly. And for, for us, it's we are two women coaches helping women. We do actually own the male equivalent so the company is women talk and we also own men talk so that we can do it but the whole model for men is significantly different and you know as women we're yeah. having a harder time getting the male mentors to step up and do that so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could see that as well and i personally i'm a good speaker but i cannot speak to a male's life experience i'm sorry <laughs> Yeah, no, there's definitely uniqueness in each. And there is. Each there is important, and but they also face different struggles, and those need to be addressed uniquely. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, and and see, that's, that's, that's exactly what I was trying to get at with this North Star. It has to be a deeper overriding principle of service that, that drives resiliency in, in business from my perspective for it to be one that can last the long term. Oh, I agree. You will burn out so quickly if it is not very deep and very personal. Yeah. And I see that too often where people have made it about the money and the objects and the things. And I don't think it's really about those things. It's about what they believe those mean to them. But if folks will investigate a little bit deeper, they'll find out what is actually driving them. And then they can see, is this something that I want my whole life to be about? Yeah. And, you know, answering that question is, you know, finding, for me, it is, it came out of that experience of growing up as an entrepreneur's son and seeing the challenges and the demands that were put upon him to provide for a large family. And how could I facilitate that for other business owners, whether they be male or female, they have that responsibility to the people that they love, that they're trying to produce results for. They have that responsibility to their employees, to their customers. How do I help lighten that, that load by giving people some, some better ways to communicate and effectively grow their business? And so, you know, th that takes on a lot, a lot of different forms. And that's reflected in the businesses that, that my brother and I own is yeah. that mission of how do we lighten that load and make it so that because if anyone's hung around Fix Your Funnel very long, they realize I probably talk more about business and marketing in general than I do a pro our product. Yeah. And that's because the product is just a facilitation of the, the overall practice of how do I make a business more effective so it produces profits for myself, great opportunity, employment opportunities for our team, and then great solutions for the customers. And so that's where the, the discussion always has to go. That's where I say, if you can get deeper than just, how do I get an exchange of money for value? Yeah. Now you're going to have a lot more to draw from as you try and solve that. You know, that is a problem you have to solve at some point. What value do we bring to the market? 
How is it described? How can it be expressed so that people go, oh, I'd happily pay what you're asking. Yep. And in order to get there, you have to have that deeper element, I believe. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. It, it is about that really deep core that, that drives us. And I think entrepreneurs probably, it, once you've had a few companies, you, you start to see it in yourself, I think, a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, you need those um, hitting the brick wall experiences to shake out some of that stuff that is extra. That's not really the meat yep. of what it is that you want to be about. Yeah. And I for agree. some, for some of us, the only way we figure that out is we, we've got to mess up. Well, I think most of us, like I said before, I don't think any of us gets through life without failure at all. No, that's true. And, you know, and I think most of us, we learn so much more from our lessons than we do from, you know, the successes. We celebrate the successes, but we don't analyze them quite the same way. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I'm planning to give a little class after this about creating irresistible offers. And you can't really know what the irresistible offer is until you get some negative feedback about what you're doing. Exactly. So many people avoid the negative feedback. They do. I always have the same conversation with, with startup clients about when they say that, you know, I have to know my niche from day one. Until you've had five clients, you don't know who you want to work with. <laughs> There's no way you can figure that out ahead of time. No. Worst is when you're hip deep into it and then you find out. Yep. <laughs> Much yep. better to figure it out ahead of time. And we've all so, done that. So how does, it, how, how does um, resiliency manifest itself when you're doing things well? Well, when you're doing things well, oh, that's a tough question. I yeah. think, you know, when you're doing things well, the resiliency shows up more in, I would say, a center of calm. You know, it's, it's to me, I always call it my Zen level. You know, I, mm -hmm. if I'm not attached to the outcome, then I'm also not as extreme and it's celebrating it when there's successes and other things. It's kind of a Zen state. And you can focus on the next thing a lot quicker, right? You can just keep adding and keep building channels of income because you're not getting the highs and lows on either side. So to me, that, that core resiliency, that being able to bounce back means removing all those big ups and downs and swings in a business, in your mood, personally, in your life, in their sales. It's about structure. It's about systems. It's about getting to that Zen space where you know it's going to run whether you like as an example we just my husband and I just took the month of January and took off we went to yeah. Costa Rica went totally offline I didn't even take my computer I told people you can email me but I'm not going to answer all of my clients all of my team you're on your own and I couldn't do that if I wasn't in a Zen place where I know my systems and everything, my numbers, my team, even my clients, because as a consultant, you walk away from your clients for a month, there's a pretty good chance they're not going to come back. But you have to be in a, in a certain place of resiliency where you know that if they walk away, that's okay. So yeah. resiliency can be that. It seems like it can also be building your business to the point where it's not dependent on you too. Yeah. Well, like you say, the systems and all of those things are a big part of it. It's, yeah. it's that Zen place where you can walk away for a month, where you can recharge, where you can take care of yourself, where you can go, you know, I have two businesses. If I was needed every day in both of them, I couldn't function. Yeah. I would have long days. <laughs> That's interesting, you know, because I think, you know, for me, 
I, I was raised very heavily on goals. Yep. And so that's why I got burnt out on them. <laughs> uh, and then I, I almost rejected the idea of goals for a period of time. But I realized that I hadn't really rejected the idea of goals. I had gone deeper yep. than kind of a number type goal. It was more of, okay, what is it that I really want to try and build? And that, that became the obsession, so to speak, is how do I build an outcome that has resiliency in the business? So even when things go totally sideways, hopefully the business will be able to absorb some of that shock and be able to deal with it. So that, you know, that kind of became a driving factor as I was looking at how do I incorporate resiliency into the business. Right. And then I don't know that I'm 100% there, but I'm probably much closer than I've ever been before. But getting to that place where the business would actually do even better if I was gone for six months than if yeah. I stuck around. Well, and, and I think that's a huge part of it. But it's, it's, you know, the business has to function with you and without you. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of like, for me, marketing, and one of my core values is marketing is about momentum. Yeah. So, so to give you an analogy, an airplane, sales, if, you, if, if your business was an airplane, sales are the jet engines that get it off the ground, but it's yeah. the lift, the momentum that keeps it going. And if you're doing your marketing right, you should be in that kind of hover place where you know, it is, to me, that's kind of the definition of a resiliency. It's, it's just bouncing just enough on the airflow and using less fuel because you now have enough momentum to carry you forward. Yeah. And so that's and, interesting. We kind of segued into two different topics <laughs> and I was, I want to draw that line for people because there is a personal resiliency. Yeah. Which is independent of a lot of these other things that we talked about. And we kind of started to flow into a business resiliency, which is a different it's the same core concept, but it's a different in terms of how you apply it, right? It is different in how you apply it. But like I said, uh, you know, I am a firm believer. Your business will reflect you personally. You don't yeah. have to be attached to it, but you grow. As you grow, your business will grow. And as your business grows, if you don't grow with it, it's going to implode on you. So, yeah, you know, so they that, are tied you have to together. that personal resiliency yeah. before you can really build a business resiliency. I totally agree with that one. Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to this kind of rubber hits the road of a business resiliency, which we've already established can only happen as soon as you establish an internal resiliency, what, what is kind of your, your approach? Are there some checkpoints that you're looking for if you're trying to help a client build a business that reflects the resiliency that they've created within themselves? Yeah, so I often go through, you know, kind of like my onboarding process includes some questions about their personal goals, their definitions, how things are going, you know, cultures and values exercises. I do what's called the power of one, yeah. you know, the power of one, because one decision can make a huge difference. So we do these exercises together. And the, and the threshold for me is really, you know, you can be right or wrong. It doesn't really matter. But how willing are you to look at it? If if you're not willing to look at all these questions and not willing to understand or talk to me about, I don't care if your list is big or small. I care if you have a brilliant idea and you're willing to work on yourself and you're willing to work on the business, then we can do great things. 
But if you're, you know, embarrassed by things or are coming from a place of shame or limitations or expecting to just hand it off and have me build it for you, that's where I draw the line. I just, there's just work that needs to be done before we can make that happen. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's that internal work that has to happen. You have to think through, you know, from my perspective, all of the money that a business makes usually comes from that exercise anyway. Yep. Because... The mechanisms are universally available to everybody. Oh, totally. So anybody can go buy Infusionsoft. Anybody can go buy Fix Your Funnel and they can start implementing the mechanisms. But if they haven't done what you just talked about, which is the the hard work of thinking before that, it doesn't really matter. It's not that the mechanisms are, are important, but they can't do what has to be done first, which is that thinking, that expression, that discovery. Yeah, they have to be really clear on on what it is that they're trying to do. And, you know, it's, it really, you know, is the kind of the key to business growth in my mind. If if you haven't done that work, then no matter what you put in place, you're going to trip over yourself. You're not going to get there. Team members are going to leave. Other things are going to keep happening to you until you can get to that place of, yeah, you know, this is clear and this is how we have to move forward. And this is the structure and, and the value. So everybody you work with, that's the first kind of thing you put them through. Yep. Yeah. We have an exercise that we go through and we do the calls and we start off with, you know, I always start off with an intro package just to go through that and to get some work done with them and see where things are at and then see if we're a fit. Yeah. I think that's really neat. I, and that must come from, like you're saying, the decades of working in marketing automation. Yeah. Well, it it comes from that experience and it also comes from, you know, some of my own experiences having good and bad clients. You know, I know, I know from experience that you can say all the right things, but if you don't do the work, if you don't put the effort in, and if you're not open to feedback and you're, you're just, you're going to stall. And so it doesn't serve you and it doesn't serve me. You got to do the work. Now, what I find in business, just generally kind of taking a step back, is that there is this ideal that we go for, right? But then there's a a matter of practicality in terms of, I've got to create cash flow. You know, I've got to service the customers, you know, meet the promises I made in marketing and sales. So there's all these things that have to be done, but there's this ideal that we're working towards in the process. How do you negotiate the ideal and then the reality, because there usually is a discrepancy at first. There is, but there isn't. So if somebody says, you know, that they've got this great idea, you know, mm-hmm. like Women Talk as an example, there's a lot of people say, you know, it's a it's an odd idea. Just having women, they speak for free, but people pay tickets to come and listen to these stories and we coach them on how to be better at it. You know, the, people say to me, how do you get people to show up so often? How do you get so many people every month? Cause we run, as I was saying to you earlier, 14 events every month. Yeah. It really is about being really clear on what you're delivering and not my partner and I are both adamant that this form of it has existed forever we're not solving a problem. We're not manipulating anything. We're giving a stage to people who need the stage and helping them grow and empowering them. That's all we're doing. We're coaching them to get up there and share and other people want to support them. It's about, you know, I can go into a business model and how you 
how you pull into other people's audiences and tap into all this. That's the practical side of it. That's how we turn a profit on it because we look at those aspects. But we couldn't do any of that if that core value of the business model wasn't there. Okay. It, no matter what we did, it would fail. So always the, the core value has to be there. It always has to be there. That's very good. Because that's a question I know a lot of people have. You know, they, they face this dilemma of I've got to put, you know, food on the table. But I feel like I've got, there's so much to be done before I get to the place where I want to be. Well, and, and I know you'll agree with this one. You always start closest to the cash. Yeah. Right? So design your business model so that you can start closest to the cash. And as you increase your revenue, and that's the practical side of it, as you increase your revenue, you add tools and systems and people, but you start closest to the cash. You always start closest to the cash. And none of us, you know, I'm not a salesperson. I don't call myself a salesperson. I'm a service person. Everything I do is in service of my customers. So if somebody wants to buy from me, it's not a sales conversation. I never worry about it that way. And some people say to me, oh, I can't sell anything I need. It's not a sales conversation. When you are truly delivering from a place of value, it is never a sales conversation. It's a service conversation. How can I serve you? What is it that is, can support you right now? Where do you want to take this? Very interesting. I think, I, th I think that sometimes people think that there has to be a compromise on establishing that core because they imagine it takes so long. Mm, what do you mean what, by that? I'm not sure I understand that one. Okay, so you help people in the very first stage to be able to identify what it is that they're all about, who yep. do they serve, what problem are they solving. You're helping them get to that central core, but a lot of people that I see put that off a little bit, and I think they put it off because they imagine it's much more difficult and it takes too long. They just want to get to, no, just, no, just build me the campaigns. We'll worry about all that other stuff later. We do run into, you know, to clients who just, you know, want to keep broadcasting to a list that's half dead or, you know, getting low engagement. You know, yeah. those are the clients that you don't, you know, like I said, we do our little trial with them and then well, you bless and release. Let's answer that question though, because I think you have an answer for this. How long does it really take to answer those questions? How that, hard is it really to do that thinking? It's not that hard. It really depends on your life experiences. I've worked with, with millennials who have the answers to those questions. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with people, you know, who are much older that are just coming into it. I think at each stage of our life, we have that answer to a certain degree. It's about the experience and how much we're willing to, to detach, bounce back and deal with the way things are coming at you as to whether or not you're going to keep learning from it. I don't think we ever, I know personally, you know, I know my core values, but I'm always learning. I'm always expanding. I'm always stretching. So it's not like so it's, it's a more static of a thing. Refinement. It's of, a refinement. It's a constant refinement. Yeah, I think that 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 just it sometimes is intimidating to people to do the thinking work, but it really isn't as hard as it looks on the outside. It does require some effort. It does require some introspection. It may even require talking with some people, right? Yep. But it's not as intimidating as it looks. I think that's the big thing I'd like people to take away from what you're, you're talking yeah, to it, about. Yeah, you know, it's so easy. It, I mean, we do it in the first hour on most calls. Like it's, it's If so you have easy. the right guidance, it can be really easy. Yeah. If you're not sure where to start, that's where it really gets intimidating. But if you have somebody like Nancy walking you through this process, it can be a lot easier than it sounds. 
I think the problem is people, when they think about thinking, they don't think of productive work. Yeah. But, but I, what I want to really emphasize here with this whole conversation, and if you have to listen to it again to really pick up on these concepts, is that the thinking is the most valuable work that you'll do. It is. And if you have somebody that can guide you through those processes of thinking, before you start doing the actual manual labor work, you know, writing up the emails or anything like that, everything else comes easier if you do the thinking first. And that's why, Nancy, I think it's so valuable to have somebody like you that can guide people through that thinking process because it has to be done. It feeds everything else that will be done after that. And it makes it much easier. But if you don't do it, nothing will, will be as effective as you would hope it would be. So it's, yeah. it's just so critical. It's got to be done. But if you can have someone guide you through it, it'll be that much easier. And then it won't be an intimidating thing. It'll be something you can work through discover. And like you said, it's not, you're not going to be done because you did some thinking for an hour, but it's going to give you a good enough foundation to get started. And as you work with clients and you, you know, you, you sell or you service people or whatever, what's going to happen is you're going to get a refinement of those concepts. Yep. Yeah. Well, hey, this has been great. How do people get a hold of you? Well, the easiest way, of course, I have my website, but you know, you can always text call me, C-A-L-L-M-E, and I'm going to give you a number, so I'll say it slowly, to 587-805-0045. And of course, that's a fix your funnel number, so you'll <laughs> get them automated messaging and get a chance to set up a time to talk to me. Well, that's fantastic. Well, that'll be in the show notes, so you guys will be able to see that, that keyword and that phone number and connect with Nancy. Um, Nancy, so thank you so much for being here. This has been a real pleasure. We've hit on a, a lot of fascinating topics that we haven't been able to cover in this series yet, so I'm really glad you did. Great. It's been an honor to be here, and I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. I always enjoy chatting with you, Ryan. <laughs> thank you.